The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. And you did not welcome me naked and you did not give me clothing sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them. Truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment for the righteous, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Some of you might recall that the preacher at my institution as your rector on Trinity Sunday in 2003 was an old friend of mine, the Reverend Canon uh, Martin Brokenleg. Martin and I had known each other from college days, long before either of us thought we would ever become Episcopal priests. Well, Martin also uh, preached at my ordination to the diaconate. And at that particular uh, ordination, He preached something that I have thought of over and over again. He talked about a colleague of his, who was a Lutheran minister. Uh, It turns out that Martin at this time was teaching at Augustana College in Sioux Falls, and the campus chaplain was a Lutheran pastor. And this uh, Lutheran pastor had taken his sabbatical, and part of the sabbatical was to go to India and work in the community established by Mother Teresa, the Missionaries of Charity. He was there for an extended period of time, 
So he had the opportunity to become a part of that community, to worship with them, pray with them. And he related a story to Martin that Martin in turn used in this sermon as a charge to me. And the story goes like this. The Lutheran pastor had, as a part of the life of the community, attended the Eucharist on one particular day. And as he came up to receive, Mother Teresa administered the bread with the usual words, the body of Christ. And then he said he had gone and continued to do his work among the poor. And one day, a number of days later, he was kneeling beside a man who had been brought in over the night, who was near death. He was on a litter. And this pastor had knelt down beside him to be with him and minister to him. And during the time that he was kneeling with this man, suddenly he realized there was someone kneeling on the other side. And he looked up, and it was Mother Teresa. And after they were there in silence together for a while, she said, Behold, the body of Christ. I think that this is a very important message for us, for all of us. Martin gave it to me in a charge to, as a deacon and later as a priest, to always see Christ, the body of Christ, present in the other. To always encounter other people, not just as a job to be done, someone for whom you have to stop what you were planning to do in order to have a conversation, but rather to see that person as the presence of Christ, and then, when necessary, to administer to Christ. The message that we have from today's Gospel, I think, in some way helps us to see this. But it has a lot of other stuff hanging around it. And it's going to take a little unpacking. Unfortunately, in a sermon, I can't unpack it quite to the degree I would like. But I must first confess that I think I've never preached from this particular lesson. I've heard it many, many times, and I believe I've always understood it to be a message to the church, a message to Christians. And certainly it is that. And that is an interpretation we'll deal with. But actually, as you read this lesson, this lesson answers a very important question that many of us ask. Over and over again, we find ourselves wondering, what about all those people who do good in the world? I know I've heard a number of you say to me, sometimes at the funeral of someone who was not particularly faithful, or perhaps someone that we thought perhaps had not had faith in Christ, you know, this person was as good a Christian as any Christian I've known. And I've heard that said about many people who are not a part of the Christian tradition. So the question that we have, I think, that lingers is what happens to these people? What is their relationship with God? Do they have a place in God's kingdom? To answer this, we have to really look at this text in terms of what it says in a, in a very perhaps literal sense. And it hinges really on two things, a word and a phrase. The word has, is that word, the nations. All the nations are gathered for judgment. The Greek that underlies that word really says that it implies rather that it is everybody who is not us. And of course, the us is the Jewish community. So it, it essentially says all the Gentiles are gathered for judgment. I think I've always read that in a different way or heard it in a different way. But this is about 
judgment of those who are not us, those who are not proselytes to the uh, to Judaism, nor were they converts to Christianity. In a sense, we would say these were pagan unbelievers. And then, of course, the other phrase that is somewhat difficult is, who are these people that are referred to as the least of these who are members of my family? And traditionally, that's been understood to point to those missionaries who had gone out taking the good news, who had very little in the way of support, and who suffered greatly. So, at a very literal uh, understanding of this text, it's a judgment of the Gentiles, of non-believers, and how they treated those who brought the good news to them. But I think it also implies something more than that, because it really talks about how the Gentiles, those who were not believers, responded to the need that they found around them. I'm reminded of one of the most honorable and probably one of the most caring persons I have ever known. His name was uh, Colonel Sadok Yilmaz. I worked for Colonel Yilmaz for, for two years in Turkey. A Turkish Air Force officer, he was a very faithful Muslim. And over a period of time, he and I got to know each other well enough that we started to talk about our traditions and how we understood our faith. He was always very quick to remind me that he lived more like Jesus than I did. (laughs) And he said he did because he lived more like a Jew. He lived believing that there there were some things you shouldn't eat. There were some things that were rules that you really should be careful of. So in that sense, he saw himself as sort of a special Christian. But we would talk about our traditions, our faith. And then I remember that one day we were walking down the street in some city in the center of Turkey. And throughout Turkey, as many of you know, there are beggars everywhere. Now, we Americans had grown callous to these beggars. I remember in Izmir, where we lived and where I worked, we would go by certain locations and it would be the same people begging day after day after day. And we just did not give to them. We really just walked by and ignored them. But as we walked down this street in this city in the middle of Turkey, every time we came by a beggar, Colonel Yilmaz would reach in his pocket, take out a coin, and drop it in the cup. And I asked him later, why did you do that? And I told him about how we Americans had come to understand that we couldn't possibly meet all those needs. And he said, I do it because the Quran commands it. And in that moment, I found myself judged. And I think that's the way judgment works. I believe we're judged in the moment. We're judged not by what we believe or don't believe. But we're judged by what we do or don't do. You know, we say in the confession, the things uh, done and the things left undone. And in many ways, that, those are the moments when we find ourselves being truly judged. Because I knew deep down inside that it wasn't just the Quran that commanded it. It was Jesus that commanded it as well. I believe that it was more than just living into the command of the Quran that caused Colonel Yilmaz to give to the beggars. It was a part of who he was as a person who understood himself in the world and as he understood and saw need that was in front of him and what he should do in that moment of judgment. And I truly believe that in the moment 
that he gave the coin to the beggar. Colonel Yilmaz was in the kingdom of heaven. He was in God's kingdom. And he was extending God's love in that moment. Well, I think that that's one aspect of this passage that, frankly, is new to me. I had not heard this interpretation before. That this is, in some way, a way of letting us know that we Christians don't have a corner on what it is to extend God's love to other people. And that, even better than that, that God sees what others do and recognizes that as an extension of God's love. Some of us get uncomfortable with that because it sounds an awful lot like uh, works uh, salvation or works redemption or works righteousness. And that idea is that if you do the right things, do all the good deeds, you'll be acceptable to God. And that certainly is not a part of our Christian theology. But what is a part of our Christian theology is that since we have been saved by grace, that God's grace has covered us. God's grace has made us at one with God. That we have a responsibility to act out of God's love that's present in our lives, extending it to those in need. In an editorial in the Catholic periodical America, it's put this way. It, it wasn't church going uh, that would make you a sheep. It wasn't liturgical observation. It was not by believing or confessing any particular creed that the king would approve of you. It was by one thing, love. Not love as a concept, not love in general, or in any remote philosophical sense, not love of neighbor unremoved from life. It was not talking love, but doing love. It was by love in action. It was by practicing love the character of which is action. If it's important for all the nations, for those who are not us, to act on that love, how much more so is important for us as Christians to act on that love as well. Over and over in the life of Jesus, we see that he is calling us to follow him, to be his disciples, even to be little Christs, offering the love of God at every opportunity. We stand today at the end of a Christian year, and we celebrate the King of Kings. And we also stand on the threshold of a new Christian year. And the way we're brought into that new Christian year is to be drawn to the creche, to be drawn to that very humble beginning of the King. The king that we serve, the king that we worship, is one of us. And that king is calling us to service in God's love, to reach out and to see in everyone that we encounter in need the body of Christ. Amen. Amen.